Well, hey, Sandals Church, welcome to our online gathering. My name is Jeff and I'm your online pastor. If you are joining us for the first time, I hope that this is not your last time. There is a motto we'd like to say and live by around here and it's and it has to do with this idea, this vision of being real. We believe God wants us to be real with ourselves, real with God and real with others. Something that we don't see very much in our world today, but what we all truly want to be real. So if this is your first time, blow up the comments in the chat section or let myself or my team know by going to sandalschurch.com next. Speaking of the online chat, we have volunteers who are, who are chat hosts who serve every weekend because they love connecting with you, our online community. Meet Chris from Hawaii, who is one of our volunteers. Chris, like so many others, volunteers with our online campus team so that we can connect, engage, and minister to our online community. Chris told us, serving as an online host is such a privilege and an honor to be able to make an impact for Jesus. It has kept me connected with my home church while being so far away. Man, we love having Chris on our team. On the 14th of this month, we will be celebrating Chris and all of our online volunteers at our online campus team gathering celebration. The online campus reaches every state as well as many countries. In the last several months, our online community has grown a lot and we would love to have you volunteer and join our online campus team. Just go to sandalschurch.com teams to discover the many ways you can serve no matter where you are in the world. We would love to have you. Also, we want to let you know that if you have friends or family who speak Spanish, we offer Sandals Church in Espanol with full online services all in Spanish. For more information about our online and in-person Spanish services, you can go to sandalschurch.com Spanish. Well, right now we're gonna spend some time in worship, which is a churchy word, but, but describes one of the ways we say thanks to God and thank him for what he's done and how we tell God who he is by singing. So don't be shy. We'll have the words on the screens to help you out. So let's sing and let's worship.
darkness now has ended In the kingdom of light In the kingdom of light Forever under your dominion You're the king of my life The king of my life You reign above it all
the imagery of heaven. This is the song of heaven. It's a simple song of praise. Holy, holy, holy. And there's something that connects in our heart with all of creation as we sing this out. Part of our soul, part of our spirit just comes to life because we can hear a billion angels singing along. And there's nothing like joining with the song of creation. So wherever you're at, we're just going to sing that one more time. get to sing as a global church. You may not hear everyone, but God does. Thank you so much for singing. Hey, if you got kids, then we got you. You can help your kids go to kids.sandalschurch.tv for an online service tailored just for them. And if you got teens, then we got you covered in prayer. And we have a Sandals Church youth page on YouTube that they can check out. For many of us, it's been a year since we've been able to truly gather together in a church building and with other followers of Jesus, which means that many of us may have not been able to take communion for a whole year. Well, next Saturday, on the 13th of March, we will be holding a live communion experience right here online on our Facebook page. This will be an opportunity for you and people all over the world to be gathered together here online, but spiritually connected by the Holy Spirit and receive communion together. It is going to be awesome. You are not going to want to miss this. Make sure you mark your calendar for this really special moment of receiving communion together. Well, here with the latest message from our When in Rome teaching series, here is our own Palm Avenue campus pastor, Pastor Fredo Ramos, or Pastor Fredo Ramos. <laughs> that sounds better. What's good, Sandals Church? It is great to be with you guys tonight. Welcome to Sandals Church, too, especially for those of you, if you happen to be joining us maybe for the first time or you are new, new here, I just want to tell you, man, we are honored that you would choose us. Out of all the churches, out of all the places you could be on a Saturday night, we are thankful that you are here with us. And secondly, uh, we are in a series called When in Rome. 
We're walking through the book of Romans and collectively trying to understand as a church what it looks like for us to follow Jesus in the midst of a culture that really doesn't. Now, honestly, if you have been with us at all, these topics so far have not been for the faint of heart. Uh, we have dealt with things like idolatry, sin and, and judgment and, and justice and love and our identity, idols and sexuality. And, and listen, we are just in chapter two. <laughs> so listen, I understand that if maybe for some of you, as a result of just kind of hearing the teaching so far, you just feel weighed down. Maybe you feel a little torn down. Maybe it's from the series or just wherever you're at in life. And if that's you, if you are just feeling torn down in the midst of this season, I want you to know that you are not alone. Even myself as a pastor walking through these texts, it, it's done something to me. I feel torn down myself. I'm not gonna lie to you, even kind of approaching this passage from Romans 2, there was like this trepidation, like, man, I don't wanna teach on this. But I think, you know, there, it's not always a bad thing, I guess, if we find ourselves in a place being torn down. Because I think God, as he's tearing us down, he does so with a purpose to kind of build us back up into something much more beautiful than what we originally were. And I hope you receive that word of encouragement, especially as we dive into our topic tonight regarding hypocrisy. <sighs> hypocrisy. That's what we're talking about tonight. And I couldn't think of a, actually a more relevant discussion, especially in light of the world that we live in. Because I think it's very true for all of us, whether you are a Christian in here or not, we struggle in this world today to trust people. We have questions about your motives and your intentions and your bias. Whether you're a person who's educated on that topic or not, we just struggle to trust people in all kinds of different spheres of authority, especially of the church. I think what this last year has, has kind of done to us, what it's brought out of us, we, we just are beginning to realize that this kind of cloud of skepticism has just kind of settled over all of us. And at the end of the day, we just don't trust people. This is especially true, I think, of the church. And if it's because we're being honest with ourselves, we know that at the end of the day, many people have been hurt by the church. They've been hurt by a, a pastor. Maybe you have. Maybe you've been hurt some, at some point in your life by a spiritual leader, someone in authority, maybe a spouse who called himself a Christian. Maybe a boyfriend called himself a Christian, a girlfriend, whoever it was, man. It, people have been hurt by the church. And it's because of this issue of hypocrisy. We say one thing and then we do the exact opposite. And we are all living in this time in which we are trying to reconcile individuals who we've seen say and do things who claim to be Christians. It's difficult. I find myself doing that as a pastor. There are some crazy Christians out there. And I'm like, man, why would you say that? Why would you do that? And then I gotta look at myself at times too. We struggle to trust people. And now, don't get me wrong, this isn't just like a religious problem, I think. This is a problem for all of us. Even if you don't follow Jesus, even if you're kind of doing your own thing, you have to admit, at least kind of, that you at times say one thing and do the exact opposite. We're all in this boat together. And this passage tonight has a lot to say to all of us about hypocrisy, and I think God's got a word from us. So let's jump into Romans chapter two. I'm gonna read and pray for us. The Apostle Paul says this, now if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are superior being instructed from the law, and if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, 
an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. You then, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision benefits you if you observe the law, but if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. I know this passage just got a little weird, but follow me. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather together here tonight, we want to acknowledge that you are here with us as well. God, we are grateful that you are kind and patient and present, even when we seem to ignore you. And so as we hear your word tonight, God, would you open us up to receive it? Show us who we are and who you call us to be in Jesus. We pray these things in his name, amen. I was at the age of 21 when I became a Christian. I was three years into my college degree. I was attending a, a secular a UCR, actually just down the street. You guys might be familiar with that school. But I was 21 years old, almost done with college and through relationships and uh, classes, ironically, even at a secular university. And even through just kind of my own internal struggle, I, I came into this just real collision with Jesus. I didn't know what to do with it. I met him, and really, he pursued me. And everything began to change from that point on, even as a young college person. I even changed my degree, <laughs> even though my parents were like, man, you're almost done. You got one year left. And my advisor's like, what are you doing? You got one year left. And I'm like, I know, but everything just feels different. I wanna do something else. So I jumped into philosophy. And even though I was in college, at this time meeting Jesus, everything felt so new. And even though I was there, I kind of felt like I was back in middle school. Cause like, I was like, man, I don't know who I am. Everything feels different. These people are different. It was, just, it was just this really interesting time for me. And I found myself kind of enjoying conversations with people, especially in class. Because you know, when you're in college, man, there are so many people not like you, not where you're from, and certainly may not follow the, the same God that you might follow. And so I enjoyed kind of dialoguing from time to time, especially on a secular campus. You can only imagine the kinds of questions that are thrown to people who claim to kind of follow Jesus now, doing the good thing. And over time, I started to realize that, man, I, ha I had some answers for some of their questions, but I did not have answers for their wounds. Because what I began to see is that in many people who kind of rebel against God, who kind of just ignore him and go about their own thing, it's not just because they have good answers for doing it. No, they've been wounded. They've been wounded by someone probably in the church. 
And it's hard to kind of know what to say to them, which is why I think as we listen to the, the end of Romans chapter two here, Paul has this kind of tone about him. He's, he's serious. And I think the reason why is because hypocrisy is serious. It's both blinding and damaging to us. And that's the first thing we gotta see tonight. Hypocrisy blinds us from truly seeing ourselves. You see that from the passage there in verses 20 and 21. Paul says, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law, you then who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You know, he's, he's getting at that golden question. Do you practice what you preach? And he's saying that to a group of, of Jewish Christians who had great things. They had the law. They knew God's word. They taught God's word. But the problem there in verse 17 is that they relied on it. In other words, they banked their identity and their value and their meaning on the fact that they can live up to this standard. And what they're blind to is that they actually couldn't. You see, Paul is building this case here in the chapter that regardless of who you are, where you're from, and what you try to do, nobody is good with God. That's some bad news. Even if you're religious, even if you think you got God's word, you too fail. Because not only can you keep it, there's no way that you actually do it with the right intentions. And so for us tonight, man, as he talks about, you know, you call yourself a Jew, you might as well replace that with Christian. You call yourself a Christian. You boast in God, you, you know God's will, you approve things that are good, you're taught from the word. You see, Paul is kind of building this case. It's very possible for us to know Christian truth, to love Christian truth, and to not ever be changed by Christian truth. The thing that we all gotta wrestle with tonight is that many of us can like Christianity and have no idea who Jesus is. No idea about the Christ. And I think the concern that I have for many of us is that we would prefer being right about God than being right with God especially in our relationships. As long as I'm right about him, as long as my feelings are right about him, that's all we're worried about. And we completely miss the point. You see, what Paul is drawing out is that there is dead religion. People can be lost in their good things. They can be lost. Maybe some of you guys are there too. You see, this is kind of why following rules at times feels so good and other times it feels like hell. Because when everything's going right, man, you feel like you're on top of the world. You're doing everything right. Life feels right. You're in a good spot. But when, when you're not doing everything right, instead of feeling like you're on top of the world, you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world. And you can't possibly bear it up. And then comes the guilt and then comes the shame and then becomes like, man, what am I even doing? And we kind of miss this. You see, this is the problem. We actually don't see it in ourselves. We can be deceived that we're actually doing what we placed on ourselves. And a lot of people kind of acknowledge this. This is, why, this is why a lot of people leave the church, right? Of course, there's hypocrites there. But consider for a moment, though, that hypocrisy just isn't in the church. Hypocrisy is everywhere. It's everywhere. Someone once gave this, this famous illustration years ago. He had said, imagine the day you were born. So let's rewind the tape, go back to that. Imagine the day you were born and God places this tape recorder on you. And on the day that you face him, what God will do is just play back your tape. 
and just show you all the moments where you told people what they should have done, what they should have said, how they could have acted, how they could have responded. In other words, this is what Paul is saying in Romans. Whatever standards you live by, that is exactly how God will judge you. And the bad news is we all fail to live up to our own standards. Whether they're kind of religious ones, Christian ones, or your own standards, we all fail. Even today with kind of this popular gospel that's out there, which is to kind of just be yourself, be true to who you are so long as you don't harm anybody. Now, it's a tempting gospel. In many ways, it's kind of true. But at the end of the day, if we're being honest, what eventually happens to us is that we, A, fail to live up to that standard because there will be moments when you won't be true to yourself. And then B, there will be moments when you harm other people in the process of doing it. And what's so hard for us, especially as religious people, is that we like to place on other people a standard that we can't even follow. Notice what Jesus says about this issue in Matthew 23. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees are seated in the chair of Moses. Therefore, do whatever they tell you and observe it. But don't do what they do because they don't practice what they teach. They tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. This is Jesus on religious leaders. Listen to what they say, don't do what they do. This is what I find so compelling about Jesus because even when he can critique religious leaders, he doesn't say we can't live without religion. In other words, we still need the church. And so for those of you who are maybe like on your way out, like you're, you're almost at that point where you've just had enough, consider for a moment that you don't need less of church, you actually need the real one. You need the real Jesus. You see, this is why I find him so compelling because both Jesus and the scriptures, the Bible, critique hypocrisy. And so while yes, there are hypocrites in the church, Jesus still loves the church and believes we need it. And so for some, while the church will be in the way of God, the church will never cease to be the way to God as well. We need the church. And this is what Jesus calls us all to consider. And so while all of us, especially if you are here tonight and you call yourself a Jesus follower, we should be quick to apologize when we do not live up to the standards of Jesus. No doubt, quick to apologize for those moments. But listen, what we can't apologize for is our faith in Jesus. We cannot apologize for our love of Jesus and our trust in his word, the scriptures, God's word. We cannot apologize for that. Because to us, Jesus isn't just some kind of, you know, social activist, nor is he this very conservative founder of a religion. He's not even a guru who just kind of gives us great principles to live by, like the golden rule, the Treat others the way you wanna be treated. Jesus, as the Bible says, is the Lord of the universe. We just got done singing it tonight. He reigns over everything. The Bible says he is the resurrected king whom God raised from the dead and placed over all of life to govern it as king. 
The Bible says that all of life is about Jesus and he is in charge of all of life. He is Lord. And one day he is coming again in the flesh to make everything that is wrong with this world right. Both the good and the bad will have to stand before King Jesus. And this is who we follow, church which is why we pursue as Sandals Church a real authentic relationship with him. One day at a time with one act of trust at a time because he is Lord and he's worthy of it. And the good news is that he invites all of us to come and to know him. And so while it's important that we apologize when we fail to be like him, we do not apologize for following him. We cannot do that. And because that's the case, we also need to realize, secondly, that hypocrisy not just blinds us from seeing our true selves, hypocrisy blinds us from truly seeing others as well. As Paul continues in this conversation, he says, for as it is written, the name of God, notice now, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Because of who? Because of you because of me. In other words, he's saying that, man, people mock God, they don't follow God, not just because of their own decisions and actions, but because of your decisions and actions. This is where the gut kind of gets punched, as we have to realize, maybe for just a moment, the reason why some people aren't sitting next to you in church is because of you. That's hard to hear. Maybe that the person on your mind, the person who you would just love to, to see them experience the love of Jesus, they're not here, maybe because of you. That's hard to hear, but that's what Paul's getting at. Our hypocrisy has consequences on other people as well. We could, in our desire to do the right thing and failing to live up to that standard, can push other people away. I remember seeing this in my own life when I first became a Christian. Like I said, I was 21. I had a great group of friends, guys that I had grown up with most of my life. And there came this moment where probably like for many of you when you became a Christian, like you weren't sure what to do with some of your relationships, some of the people that you still love and cared for. And for me, man, I really fumbled through this in those early years. I know for a fact, I said things that I thought I was just being so right about. I did things thinking I was honoring Jesus, only realizing that I was pushing these people further away, further away. And to this day, no lie to any of you, to this day, it haunts me. Thinking about people in my life who I probably need to pick up the phone and call and be like, yo, I'm sorry for being a, a jerk for Jesus 10 plus years ago. That is not the way of Jesus. But you see, we can get so caught up in what we think is right and what we know the Bible says and we can almost kind of weaponize our own goodness. Imagine that for a second. The good things you believe in, the convictions you have, the beliefs that we have as Christians can be weaponized against other people and be oppressive and push them further away. Keep us from actually seeing them. And part of the way we do this, I think, is, is maybe even ignorantly. Like, I don't think any of you guys set out like, oh, I can't wait to piss someone off today with my faith in Jesus. Like, I don't know if any one of us are waking up 
like that. If you are, we should probably have a conversation after service tonight. But I think out of our zeal and our passion and misguided excitement, we push people away with our hypocrisy. And we don't even know we're doing it. That's what Paul's trying to get at in Romans 2 to this church. Do you realize what you're doing to the Gentile brothers and sisters? As you try to force on them this kind of legalism that you yourself can't even live up to. That's a problem. We weaponize our own goodness against others. And when you think about it, man, the, the law of God, the commands that he gave to his people, they're meant to lead us to what the Bible calls a blessed life. Not just for us, but for everyone. And consider for a moment that we have gotten it so twisted that we try to use the law for our good, but then it turns out to actually push other people away. The same thing that was meant for their benefit. And here's a few ways I think this plays out. I'm gonna be real honest with y'all, so buckle in. You see, many of us in here believe that we are pro-family. In what ways are you loving your family? Many of us in Christians believe that we are pro-life. That's a hot one. But in what ways do you love all of human life? From the womb to the tomb, what ways do we love all of human life? Many of us say that we are for truth and justice. In what ways do you daily live in a just way that honors God? Many of us say that we are for marriage. In what ways are you loving your spouse? We're against adultery, against divorce. In what ways are you allowing the gross destruction of pornography and an over-sexualized world to seep into your own life? You see, at the end of the day, friends, we are all hypocrites. And that's hard to hear. And as a result, it's kept us from seeing other people. As we observe others who don't look like us, they don't worship like us, they don't behave like us, they don't dress like us, they don't protest like us, they don't vote like us, do we see at the end of the day an enemy or do we see someone who was made in the image of God and loved and dignified? regardless of where they're at. What do you see? What do I see? Because Paul is telling us tonight that we're blinded. We don't see people anymore. That's a tragedy for us as Christians in 2021 that we, in our own desire to be right, can't even see people anymore. We can't see them. We can't see anyone. And yet we want them all to come and know Jesus who are you talking about? Can you see them? There's this amazing place there in your notes from Luke chapter seven, where Jesus is invited to a dinner party. Imagine that, the Jesus who we kind of all imagine is like holy and floating around. He goes and he has a good time once in a while, which he does in the gospels. And this scene from Luke seven, he's at a dinner party in which Simon is the host, not his disciple Simon, but a religious leader of the day, Simon a well-respected, put-together man, Simon, is hosting this party, this dinner party. And over the course of the meal from this passage, we're told that a scandalous woman walks in. And this is how the passage goes. Turning to the woman, this is Jesus now, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Take note of that, take note of that question. Do you see this woman? 
I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, when I first read this passage and think of Jesus asking that question, do you see this woman? Of course, I'm like, well, she's been here for a hot minute, Jesus. Yes, I see her. But come on now, y'all. Jesus, he's too brilliant to just ask flippant questions. No, he's asking Simon, this religious leader, do you see this woman? Because your status, your position, your self-righteousness has blinded you from seeing who she actually is. She has served me. Why? Because she knows who she is. This woman has failed to live up to your standards, her own standards, and here she is at my feet worshiping. Why? Because she knows she needs grace. Grace. You see, what I think this passage tells us is that at the end of the day, you guys, we treat other people based on how we think God has treated us. We treat other people based on how we think God has treated us. And so if you are kind of in your vertical relationship with God in which, man, God, I obey you. Thank you. Give me blessings. I do what you say because I need something from you. You love me because I'm obedient to you. Then you're going to have that leak out in your relationships. Because because God demands obedience, you will do the same thing. Because you kind of have this transaction with God, you're gonna treat other people like that too. But if, if for just a moment, we, we catch a vision in which, man, God is so gracious to us, so kind to us, so patient with us, as we begin to experience that kind of relationship, that's going to spill out in our other relationships too. Why? Because we treat people based on how we think God has treated us. Do we see other people today? Do we see them? Thankfully, thankfully, Jesus saw this woman and he forgave her. You see, this little encounter over dinner is the exact picture that you and I need if we're going to live a life disconnected from our hypocrisy. Lastly now, we need, listen, we need the God who sees us and gives us a new heart. As this passage ends there in Romans 2, 29, look there at the verse. Paul says, on the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. Now, what's he getting at? Two two things. First, let's talk about this. A person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Inwardly. In other words, not not externally, not on the outside, right? Your your ethnicity doesn't necessarily make you a Jew. What, What Paul is saying here is that God gives to us an identity because he's able to see below the surface. God is able to see through all the kind of facade of who we actually are. Through the best and through the worst, God sees you. God sees you. Through everything, God can see you. 
the best and the worst. And you see, really, the, the freedom from hypocrisy comes when you and I live a life of integrity. Integrity in the Bible, it's kind of hard to find, but the real word there is faithful. Faithful. In other words, a person of integrity is the same person in every situation. A hypocrite isn't. And, and a life of integrity begins to happen when we realize that God sees us. So we have nothing to hide. Why play games when God sees all of you? Now, this isn't just like, you know, what I used to hear going to Christian school on my way to prom night. God is watching you. <laughs> That's not this kind of scene, right? That kind of scene just leads to more condemnation. This is a kind of scene and exposure that leads to life and transformation. God sees you. Take a moment right now just to breathe that in, that you are seen, fully seen by God. And in seeing the real you, he cannot bless a fake version of you. So if you are after a kind of place in your life when you are to be fully loved, that's going to require that you are also fully known. If all of us is to be loved by God, then all of us must be seen by him and given to him. And the good news of Christianity compared to all the religions out there is that God in his love sees every single one of us. He sees us and he changes us. He transforms us. And the way that he transforms us is by giving us, as Paul talks about, this new heart. Now he uses this word that kind of gives us some weird ideas, circumcision. What's going on with all these passages? Like if a Jew is circumcised, but he doesn't keep the law, is it uncircumcision, right? It's kind of this interesting exchange that Paul has. But what he's doing there in Romans 2 is bringing the Jews back to something that they all practice from the very beginning. For the people of God, circumcision was this important ceremonial act in which you had something happen to you externally that pointed to an inward reality. And, and this act of circumcision, yes, it, it's kind of uh, gross, it's mutilating. We don't wanna think too much more beyond it. But what it was meant to do was two things. Number one, circumcision was meant to confirm that you belong to God. You were set apart for God. The second thing that circumcision did was that it cautioned you. Because again, it's kind of, it's mutilating, right? Something about you is taken off. So circumcision is also a caution. It's a warning that, man, if you break this relationship with God, your life will fall apart. You will be cut off forever. And even from the very beginning in Deuteronomy, God is warning his people, listen, you are to have your heart circumcised. In other words, something spiritual, not just physical, is to happen to you. Now, Paul connects that idea and he it says here something in Colossians 2, there from your notes. It's gonna get stranger, but then I think you'll make sense of it in just a moment. He says, you were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands. Thank God it wasn't done with hands. By putting off of the body of flesh, take note of this, in the circumcision of Christ, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Now, why is, why is Paul using these words like baptism? I don't think any of y'all got circumcised when you were baptized, right? Certainly not here at Sandals Church. It's not how we do things. 
But what he's connecting it to is that there was something that Jesus endured on the cross in which it changes us. It unites us to him. In other words, you were buried with him and then you were raised with him again. This is the transformation of a new heart. And when that happens is when you and I begin to see that on the cross, Jesus was treated as if he was the hypocrite. When in all reality, you and I both know Jesus was the only human being to ever live a life full of integrity. In other words, everything Jesus said to do, he himself did. But why? Why on the cross is he being treated as the hypocrite? It's because in his love, he's dying for you and I, the true hypocrites. Those who could never live up to anyone's standards those who regularly don't even do what they say they're going to do. On the cross, Jesus is treated as the hypocrite so that you and I, the real hypocrites, can be set free, loved forever, given a new standard, not of the law, but of love, and be changed. This is what it looks like for you and I to have a transformed heart, removed. And what I think this kind of looks like for those of us, if you're, if you're wondering, well, what is it? How do I know I've been seen by God? How do I know that I have a new heart? Two thoughts as we close. First, we practice repentance over rage. We practice repentance over and against rage. You see, I said at the very beginning that, man, in this kind of world we live in, in which we don't trust people, we're skeptical of everyone, what that begins to do to us inwardly is that just makes us mad people angry people, people who are full of rage. And if you don't believe me, just go on social media and listen to the things that people can say to one another. Listen to the things that Christians can say to one another. It's in our own comment section. You just gotta find a post from Sandals Church and bam, they're all over us. There is a kind of rage that is building in all of us. And if we are not humbled by the God who sees us, it's going to overtake us but we can begin to practice repentance. You see, repentance is something not just what we do when we become a Christian, but it is the Christian life itself. Because repentance is just confession. And all confession is, is you and I acknowledging the way things are. To confess to God is to acknowledge what is real. God, I need you. God, I need your grace. God, God, I need your mercy and your constant, as the Bible calls, faithful love today because I don't have it within myself. When we embrace a God who sees us, it sets us free to be just a little bit more humble the next day so that we can repent. Choose humility, choose repentance over rage. The second thing it does is that it allows us and frees us up to practice listening over legalism. You see, the natural tendency for all of us is to apply on other people the same way we think we should be living as Christians. And oh, don't we live in this world today. But as again, we encounter a God who sees us, and are given a new heart, there is a kind of ability because as Paul closes this passage, he says something so bizarre. He says that person's praise, it's the very last verse in your notes, that person's praise is not from man, but from God. Think about that, praise, acceptance, validation. We like you, we accept you, come in. That's what Paul is saying people experience from God. You see, the good news of Christianity is not only are you seen by God, but you are praised by God. 
He is infatuated with you. The Bible says that God sings over you. He loves you so much. All of you, all of your mess, all of your confusion, all of just the ugh of you is loved by God. And he sings over us, you guys. He sings over us. And as that becomes more and more real, you are freed up just a little bit now from the praise of man. You need less of their acceptance. You're able to be your true self because again, you don't say things and do things to kind of get people's attention and praise. Why? Because you have it from the God who sees the real you. It's kind of like this, man. I just actually thought of this right now. Thank you, God. This makes so much sense. Here we go. When y'all say, hey, Pastor Fredo, thank you for that message. I appreciated that. Some of you may not say that tonight because we talked about hypocrisy, but occasionally it happens, right? Like, man, thank you, Fredo. That was great. I appreciate that. But at the end of the day, you don't know me. Now, if I get home and my wife Ashley says, Fredo, that was a good word. I don't want to puff you up too much, but thank you. That changes me. Why? Because Ashley actually knows me. My wife sees the real me. And to have her praise, man, I could levitate. I could probably dunk that day. I feel so good because the, the person who sees me the most still praises me. And that's what happens when we are seen by God on a regular basis. He sees us. He sings praises over you. And this frees you to become a Christian who can love in the way that you listen. Listen. As Peter challenged, I'm sorry, as Jesus challenged Peter, Simon, the religious guy, messed him up. Simon, the religious guy. Do you see this woman? That's the question tonight for us. Do you see people? If you want to, you have got to be seen by God. Let's do that now in prayer. Father, we come before you and we just, we want to acknowledge, God, that you see us. You see us. God, you see us, you know us, and you, for some crazy reason, God, still love us. You still love us. And you don't love us just with a feeling, but God, you love us with an action, a sacrifice in which you were willing to take the punishment for our sin so that we might be made new in Jesus. For some of us tonight, God, would you give to us a new heart? Maybe for so long we've been walking around in religion, missing Jesus. Would you bring us to a relationship with him tonight, we pray. For some of us, God, repentance is what you call us to. As we realize that our works will never be enough, the standards we put on ourselves will never be enough. We need your standard of love. Lead us to confession now. And God, as we confess, would you lift us up? Lift us up because you love us and there is plenty of grace for us. And so would you make us people right now in this moment who can be free in Jesus and who can sing because God, you are good. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. God sees you and he doesn't want you to navigate this life alone. I know time and time again in my own life, 
I have seen that God has placed people around me who want to walk with me through, through tough times, times of, times of disappointment and much hurt. Maybe some of those people in your life are coming to your mind right now. What if you were to reach out to them and talk to them about starting a group? We talk a lot about starting groups around here at Sandals Church and, and it really can be that simple. Just start a group. <laughs> just find a few people in your life who are trying to follow Jesus too. Or, or maybe just have questions about Jesus and the Bible. Shoot, just about life and invite them to join in in processing messages like this together. And follow, and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who even, even him, when he was on this earth, he did not live life alone. He didn't do it alone. Jesus, God himself, did not do it alone. He chose a community, and he also needed support of that community. You were not meant to live this life alone, and you can't live this life without community. Community like this can happen whether you live close to one of our Sandals Church campuses or even if you are watching from around the world and want to start an online group that meets virtually or in person. You, you may even want to become a Sandals Church anywhere, regardless of where you are at, whether you're ready to start a group or you just want to start by reaching out to us for prayer, you can find everything you need at sandalschurch.com slash next. You know, this last weekend marked a pretty big milestone for our Sandals Church campuses. After nearly a year, we reopened our kids' classes and had 924 babies through sixth graders at all of our local campuses. Some of those kids weren't even born yet the last time we were able to have kids' classes. Come on now. And I want to give a special shout out to the 397 new and returning volunteers who helped, who helped to make all of that happen. And that isn't just happening on our campuses. Last weekend, we had 570 households watch our online kids church services from, from all over the world. And if we're doing our math right, that means there were well over a thousand kids experiencing Sandals Church for themselves right at home. All of this was possible thanks to those of you who give to Sandals Church. You are a huge part of showing kids what it means to be real and helping them experiencing God's love in a way that's fun and makes sense to them. And as you go today, this is my hope for you. First, that you would share this message with someone. Send a text or, or post on your social media page. Let them know that you have experienced something amazing. I'm sure that, that there's other people that you know need to hear this message as well. Next, we hope that you will join us on the 13th of this month for our live communion experience. And lastly, get connected to community because you can go fast alone, but we can go further together. We'll see you next week.